Ori folks. Welcome to the one and only original country band Jamboree, featuring a bit of Americana, our musical heritage of the past. But enough of this chit-chat, yak-yak, and flim-flam, just refrain from hibernating. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show, because we've got a lot to give. Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 286, where we are going to continue our storytelling series, where the goal for today's episode is that you are going to get to know the history or the story behind one of these beloved attractions a little bit better. And then that way, when you experience it the next time, you'll have maybe a more enhanced experience. But before we move on, I want to mention our travel agent sponsor for today's episode, Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. If you are looking to go to Disney, head over to littlebitofdisney.com, and there you're going to find a short form that you fill out. Just tell her what you want to do, where you want to go, the details and your budget of what you know up to this point, and she's going to make sure that she helps you plan the best trip for you and your family. Best bang for your buck. Make sure that you get all the experiences that you are looking for out of a vacation. And you don't have to pay for any of these services that she sets up for you. Disney pays a commission for those. And so they are completely free for you to use. She can help you with your ADRs. I know she's been helping a lot of people get Boo Bash tickets right now. So it is really a no-brainer to use her services and to have that friend on your side. So again, you can go to a little bit of Disney dot com tell her detour to neverland sent you you can also reach the link to her website down in our show notes so let's jump into it today we are going to be talking about the country bear jamboree which has historically been an attraction that we have hated on and had very strong opinions about so this has been one that's had a long time coming but i can honestly say and i hope that it it's my goal that for the listener who maybe felt the same way as us before. It's a snooze fest that, you know, fill in the blank, whatever negative thing you might want to say about it. I'm a changed man. I don't know if you're changed. Maybe you can hold off until the very end to tell us if you are a changed woman, but I feel rejuvenated and I want to go watch the Country Bear Jamboree right now. Which is something that I feel like you don't often hear. You know what I mean? People don't often walk into Magic Kingdom and say, man, I can't wait to watch Country Bear Jamboree today. I feel like people are either zero or 100 on this. They either want to skip it every time or it's like you're rope dropping Country Bear Jamboree. Well, that's probably pretty accurate. So maybe we're going to make more fans of Country Bear Jamboree today. So, of course, our storytelling episodes, we always have to start with just some must-know facts just to kind of set the groundwork for everything that we're going to talk about today. So a few things that you need to know are that this attraction opened in Magic Kingdom with the opening of Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. 
which is typically the opposite of what we see, I feel like, for most attractions. Usually it starts in California and then comes to Florida. This one, interestingly enough, started in Florida and then eventually went to Disneyland. Um, It's since been replaced with the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh, so it didn't last too long over there. But Tokyo Disneyland also has an identical theater and a show. We're going to jump more into that Disneyland version briefly later on in the episode, but it is important to note and kind of something to stick with you throughout here that it made such a big impact, especially when it opened in Magic Kingdom, that this was the first replica that went from Magic Kingdom to Disneyland. Every other thing previously had gone the opposite direction. So we'll talk about it at the end of the episode, but that paves the way for things like Space Mountain and other attractions that started in Magic Kingdom and then moved west. Yes. And then the last thing to know about the Country Bear Jamboree is that this has one of the longest running stage shows in attraction history, meaning that the duration of the attraction is pretty significantly long. So it still follows um, the Carousel of Progress and the Tiki Birds, but it originally ran at 16 minutes long, and then in 2012 it was shortened to be just 12 minutes long. I'm surprised Tiki Birds is longer. For some reason I didn't think it would be. Apparently it is. Carousel Progress is long, though. That's a, Yeah, that's one where you know walking into it, I mean, you better get comfy. Those chairs aren't the best, but you better get comfy. So let's jump into the history of this attraction because this has a very, very interesting history as to how this came to be. So this attraction was not even originally intended to be in a Disney park and not even really a quote-unquote original Disney attraction. So it starts in 1965 and 1966. Walt had this idea to create a ski resort in Mineral King Valley in California near the Sequoia National Forest. He was going to call it the Mineral King Resort. And it was a ski resort, and it was meant to be kind of the Disneyland of the mountains so that as families wanted to travel during the winter months, this would be a place that they could go and draw in tourists and residents of California to head a little bit further north than the Southern California theme parks. And... So when Walt was theorizing and thinking about how the ski resort would operate and how he could have the Disney touch on it, he obviously knew that he needed to put in some sort of entertainment because that was such a staple of what people expected out of Disney. Well, and when you think about entertainment, you know, you also think about, okay, what would entertain people at a ski resort? It's going to have to be some sort of show, something that they could easily participate in after a long day of skiing, so probably nothing too involved. And that's when his wheels started turning. What kind of animals do you see in the mountains? Bears. And it's interesting because you can even take this a few steps further back in history as to where did he even get the original idea for the Mineral King Ski Resort. And a lot of these early ideas came from the 1960 Winter Olympics, of all things. So these Olympics were very significant for this time period because they were the first Olympic Games to be held in the United States since 1932 when they were held in Los Angeles for the Summer Olympics and Lake Placid, New York for the Winter Olympics. It's important to note, which I was getting so hung up on this in my research, they didn't split the Summer and Winter Olympics into separate years until 1994. Did you realize that? 
I did not. I guess because that's my whole lifetime. I guess I just assumed that they were always summer and winter. Yep. So at that time, they would hold them during the same year. And so... Can you imagine how much TV coverage would be needed for something like that? I mean, the Olympics are already a pretty constant staple when they come on. I feel like double the events would just be crazy. Well, it'd just be drawn out much longer. I mean, because you'd get things starting in June and July, and then they'd go all the way through the winter. So it would basically be, you know, a six-month celebration of the Olympics, it seems like. Oh, wow. Okay. And so... They were awarded in 1960 to this little bitty ski resort called Squall Valley in California. And they were told that they won the bid in 1955. So they had five years to really get everything in order. And it's really interesting. And we could have a completely different episode on Squall Valley. But at the time that they were awarded the Olympics, there was no mayor of this town. It was like an unincorporated town. They only had one chairlift, two tow ropes, and only one ski lodge that only had 50 rooms on it. And so it was kind of this neighboring city across, well, Lake Tahoe is both in California and Nevada, but across the, uh, on the other side of the mountains, more on the California side. And so they had to start busting their butts to get the infrastructure set up. They needed roads. They needed lodging. They needed more ski runs. They needed to set up things for bobsleds. You know, all the things. They needed an ice hockey rink. They needed all mm-hmm. these different things that go into running a Winter Olympics. And so they knew that they needed this heavy hitter that could go along and do a lot of this other kind of organizational stuff that they weren't as strong suited in. So the chairman of the Winter Olympics went down to Burbank got a lunch meeting with Walt Disney and asked Walt, will you be the chairman of our pageantry committee? And so Walt, at this point, a lot of different things played into him answering yes for this. One, he's probably the most patriotic person of all time. I mean, he, <laughs> he loved his country. You would There's a lot of patriotism that goes into the Olympics, and so that he had that going for him. Other part was that he was actually already an investor in a ski resort called Sugar Bowl Resort in Nevada. It's around 50 miles west of Reno, Nevada. And he was an initial investor. That resort is actually still in operation today. And there is a Mount Disney trail that you can still go on today. And they named this Mount Disney after his initial check for $2,500 cleared. They went ahead and named it Mount Disney. That's fun. So that's in Nevada? Yep. So it's 50 miles west of Reno. And since that time, Walt had kind of been kicking the tires that he was very interested in skiing. His daughter, Diane, gave an interview much later after Walt's passing, basically saying that a lot of times they would watch these videos that Walt had made, home videos of him skiing, and he was awful. Like a really, really bad skier, but he always loved visiting the mountains in the winter, and he loved the idea of that being a family vacation. It's a family vacation that he and Lillian and the girls took many times in a row. So we, he already had this interest in that, and so he viewed this, all right, I go up to Squall Valley, 
I get this firsthand experience to be able to take that away and then to eventually go and open my own ski resort. So that's cutting the story a little bit short. The Olympics under his direction were a huge, huge success. People talked about that the opening and closing ceremonies are still some of the best things that they've ever seen to, you know, ever in the Olympics. And especially at that time where the Winter Olympics and still so today, they're a lesser version than the summer, less appeal that goes along with it. But he was involved in everything from parking to security to guest entertainment to athletes entertainment. He was one of the first people to bring in and he showed them featured films, the athletes at night. So brought in and set up a huge movie theater so that they could watch movies. He had all kinds of statues that were erected out of ice that were paying homage to the old Greek Olympics. So he did it in true Disney fashion and absolutely hit a home run with it. But the whole time he was there, he was basically saying like, how can I adapt this experience that I'm getting and knowing that he wanted to set out and do something like that for himself down the road? Unfortunately, that never happened. Yeah, so unfortunately, the Mineral King Resort was never actually built, mostly due to Walt passing away in 1966. And then a lawsuit was basically put in place and it blocked the permits that Disney needed to get the resort built. So the resort never came to fruition. But before all of that had happened, Walt had already tasked Mark Davis with designing the bears, coming up with this form of entertainment and basically taking the idea and running with it. So even though the resort never happened and Walt was gone, Mark still very much held on to this idea, and hence the idea for the Country Bear Jamboree is born. Out of a ski resort in California in the Olympics. Pretty crazy. It's, it's a very crazy backstory. I think, to me, this is probably the farthest thing from what I would have originally anticipated. Well, and if you really think, you know, back, if he had not become an investor in that Sugar Bowl resort probably none of this ever would have fallen into place. That's true. So, I mean, and that's just something too that I had never even known about Walt. I never knew that he was involved in any sort of Olympic games in any capacity. Did you? I did not. So that's just something, you know, that kind of adds a depth and a different layer to just Walt himself, which I think is super cool. So back to the country bears. So Mark Davis you know, early on when Wall approached him with coming up with this form of entertainment featuring bears, um, Mark basically just took that idea and ran with it. So the first thing that he did was he created all sorts of sketches featuring just different kinds of bears, different musical instruments. So he had sketches of jazz bears, a one-man bear band, a circus band, Dixieland bears, and when I say all different shapes and sizes, I mean, there's everything that you can imagine. Tall, short, fat, skinny, long, old, young, tired, whatever you can think of, whatever different adjective. Different types of bears. Different types of bears. And he just went to town basically coming up with all these different unique ideas. 
And they are all very unique. They have their own little personalities. they are different facial features that he kind of based off of people that he knew from real life, which we even see in the attraction. So we have this book. It's called Mark Davis in His Own Words. We've mentioned it before. It's an amazing book. It's a two-volume, two parts to it. And that's where we're able to see all these sketches. You can probably find some online, but if you're interested in Disney history, you might really want to look at the books because they're pretty cool. So one bear that stood out to me in particular, it was a short kind of stumpy bear, and he played the tuba. And it stood out to me because, in his own words, it said that this was Walt's favorite bear, that when Walt saw this bear, he just laughed and he laughed and... Mark basically just said, unfortunately, I couldn't find a spot for him in the final production, but he wished that he could have. So that was a nice little touch. So one day, it was November 22nd, 1966. Like Walt usually did, he decided to make a visit to WED. And his intention in visiting that day was really to check out the progress on the Pirates of the Caribbean show. He hadn't seen it yet. He didn't get to see the mock-ups. And when he went there, he didn't know it. Everyone else did, obviously. But they had already taken it all apart. So there was nothing there for Walt to see. So Walt is making his rounds, basically. Everyone's trying to look busy and look productive because they don't want to let him down. And Walt decides that he's going to sit down with Mark in his office. And this is where the different people at WED started to see that Walt was not in good shape. And of course, Mark, being his friend and loving Walt, he wanted to distract him and mostly distract him from the fact that the Pirates show was not there. But he decided that he was going to pull out all of the bear drawings. So he pulls out bear after bear after bear. And Walt was so delighted um, that Mark even compared him to being like a little kid on Christmas morning. It was just each bear that he pulled out, he would laugh at, they would point things out, they would joke together. And this is where our story takes a very sad turn. It turns out that this was the very last time that Mark and Walt ever talked. Um, When Walt left that day, he actually said goodbye, Mark. And Mark knew at that time that he was never going to see Walt again because he never said goodbye. But he said, you know, at least... This, you know, was a good happy memory. And that to me, if nothing else, Brendan, correct me if I'm wrong, is why Country Bear Jamboree is so special. I think that plays a major role in it. Um, We've talked about in the past, we talked about Mark Davis at length in our Haunted Mansion episode. We are preparing and starting to do our research for the Pirates of the Caribbean episode in the future. And I think in all of those, this illustration and what we can learn about this relationship between Mark Davis and Alice Davis, his wife, with Walt was something so special. I mean, Mark moved from an animator to working in the theme parks. Alice didn't really have much background to really come in and work in this Imagineering or in WED, but Walt took a chance on her. And I think if nothing else, that's the next time you walk in, 
to Country Bear Jamboree, you know that this was this was one of the last things that made Walt laugh. And it's maybe he didn't, you know, obviously he didn't see it in its very final form. He just passed away a month after this meeting. And, but it made Walt laugh. And if it's good enough for Walt, then it's good enough for me. So, like I said, a very sad turn. Uh, reading this and watching different videos about this today has made me cry several times. So I'm not well over here. But like everything else, after Walt's death, Wed and everyone else, the rest of the Walt Disney Company knew that they basically just had to keep moving forward. And again, maybe this is why these bear sketches really stuck with Mark and he couldn't let the idea go. So he pitched it now that the resort was not going to happen. He pitched it as an idea to happen down in Florida and the rest is history. They loved it. And just one little aside, and I don't want to keep harping on this, but you know, obviously this is a very impactful moment and a shape-shifting moment for the entire company and especially for Magic Kingdom because that's where it all ended up. But for this reason, I will never, ever entertain an idea of removing Country Bear Jamboree for Magic Kingdom again. Like, you you used to be able to talk me into it. Now, absolutely not. It has to stay forever for the same reason that I think <laughs> that Muppet Vision 3D has to stay forever because it's the last thing that Jim Henson worked on. And when you have just legendary people like that, where it's one of the last things they did, I think you have to really put a lot of value into things like that. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things where you just hope that the value never gets lost along the way, because obviously Disney has, you know, a grounded belief that you need to keep moving forward, but not at the cost of something with so much meaning. I completely agree. Again, who are we? Where did this come from? Thank you, Country Bears, for making us cry today. But anyway, so even though there were many bears to choose from, a country theme was ultimately decided to have the best potential for Florida. So at the time, country music was very popular in the area. It always had long lines, big fans. And with the help of Exitensio, who again, we've talked about before in our Haunted Mansion episodes. And Tiki Birds. And Tiki Birds. If I have a hunch, if I had a guess, probably again for Pirates of the Caribbean. But with his help, they came up with lyrics, character names, and then the setting and the stage of the show, which is reminiscent of the Grand Ole Opry in good old Nashville, Tennessee. Which I've never been to. You're kidding. Never been. I frequented there Lived many there times. For 26 years, 27 years. Never went. Never went. I also find it interesting, and obviously things change, but when I think about Florida and music, country music is not what comes to mind currently. Do you agree? Um, yeah, no, it's not the first thing that comes to mind. So it is funny that things have obviously changed, but at the time it was a big hit. So they built on the country. Pause. If they did it now, you know who they'd get? Who? The, well, I'm thinking of two people. The ambassadors of Florida. One is Mr. Worldwide Pitbull. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and the other is <laughs> Flo Rida. Apple bottom jeans. My favorite. Thank you. Love that guy. 
those embody what Florida music is now, and we love it. That would be a very different show. Ooh, T-Pain's from Florida, too. Now, this has potential. If we didn't already establish that we love Country Bear Jamboree, this idea would have some potential. But anyway, they took some of those you know, ideas from the Grand Ole Opry, and they made the stage to feature different hidden lifts, different turntables, and ultimately it created the appearance that these different bears were either making entrances or exits for their musical numbers. So at this point, they needed some extra help, and they, so they brought over a guy named Al Bertino, and he worked in the studio on the animation side, but then in 1967, he made that switch, and he came over to help them develop storyboards for a lot of the different attractions of Magic Kingdom, but specifically for Country Bears, and he was just this loud personality, big, over-the-top, boisterous man, and he was sometimes called Big Al. What a perfect fit. But it's interesting, too, even to just think about this aspect of the show where they wanted it to be funny. The bears were in like a caricature. This is a hard word to say. Caricature? Caricature. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, but we're going with it. They were in this cartoony form. Was it meant to be like a spoof? Do you think that's what they were going for? Because they definitely, they intentionally added humor into the show. It's not meant to be like a super serious show. So, I mean, if we're being honest, this is where my issues with it came in the past. Yes. Just because I know some of you have commented on it before. I try my very best to suppress my Southern accent when I'm speaking on the podcast and when I was speaking to you guys in person, but sometimes (laughs) it comes out to a certain extent. And that's how I always felt like the country bears were is that they were poking fun at, you know, how people who are where I'm from speak. And so I don't know. I, I think it's all in good fun. I don't know if it's, you know, I, it's rooted in some truth, I think. But yeah, I think it's a spoof. I think it's a, over the top. It's a caricature of what they thought country music was like and what it would be like if these hillbilly bears put together a band. Well, it's funny you mentioned hillbilly bears because by 1968, when they were kind of finalizing everything, that is what they called them. They called them not just country bears, but hillbilly bears. And I do think that that kind of takes everything to the next level. You know what I mean? And it's also, you know, and you can also point Albertino. I don't know his specific, you know, background, but it's a very Italian sounding name. You look at pictures of him. He looks Italian as well. So he doesn't have any hillbilly in him. (laughs) You know, and he's the, the inspiration behind Big Al. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. There is some conflict there. They did call him Big Al, but in a way it might have been one big joke. We'll see. Maybe it's still up for debate. Maybe it's not. But ultimately, it did end up being a huge hit with the visitors and the guests of Disney World. Um, When it first came out, people were stomping, clapping, singing, and people even pointed out, you know, 
these animatronics have come such a long way. They look just like your drawings. You know, whatever Mark put on paper and they decided on, the animatronics are basically identical, which is something that, you know, they would make these drawings typically as maybe inspiration. And of course they did sculptures and all the other different steps that Imagineering take. But this was one where it was literally, he put it on paper and they brought it to life, which is probably a really cool feeling for Mark or was at the time. So this was such a success here in Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World that just like in their land, a frontier land, as it depicts, they packed up and they headed west. Ooh, I like that. So they did head west, and this is where the Country Bears started to make their debut to Disneyland. And what's interesting is the date. So we know, obviously, that Magic Kingdom opened October 1st, 1971. Country Bears opened in Disneyland in March 1972. So that's a quick turnaround. So to me, obviously it was a hit in Magic Kingdom, but they started construction and they started that idea process well before it actually debuted. So they knew it was going to be a hit is kind of what it tells me. They put the cart in front of the horse. And they were right. But what they didn't stop to think about is would this country music bear theme play out as well in California as it did in Florida? That's where they started to make some mistakes. And they even went back and said it. Um, I read some different little snippets that people said, and they mentioned how they probably should have done a focus group. They probably should have looked into what type of music or things that people in California enjoy versus Florida. They never had a focus group. And that's where when they brought the Country Bears to California, because they were so confident in their idea, they made a theater with two sections. So they had two different theaters, not different. They were the same thing, but they basically they doubled, doubled the, the size, capacity. Yeah. which is interesting. Another note that maybe led to why it didn't get off the ground as quickly in Disneyland is that they didn't have a presenting sponsor. So from day one in the Magic Kingdom version, Pepsi was the presenting sponsor. Then Frito-Lay came on as that shook out in the corporate world at the same time. But the Disneyland version did not have an initial sponsor until eventually Wonder Bread came in and sponsored it. And then they sponsored the Hungry Bear restaurant as well. Yeah, that to me makes a little more sense. Sometimes, honestly, these sponsorships just seem so random. One, I mean, Wonder Bread, that is random. It's awesome. It's cool, but random. Another thing that the California version didn't really have going for them was the location. So it was in addition to Frontierland, one that they called Bear Country, which I also find hilarious. Now and Critter Country. Now our very favorite, you didn't say it right. I'm trying to suppress my Southern accent. Our very favorite Critter Country which they had to change once the country bears left. But that expansion in Frontierland was kind of put into a cul-de-sac location, which just was not ideal. Walt didn't like cul-de-sacs, and that really made it a problem because in order to get back to where the country bears were located, there was one way in and one way out, 
And it didn't really make people want to go back there, especially if they didn't enjoy it or it wasn't like a must-do attraction. It was one that was often skipped over. It wasn't just like you were passing by and decided to stop. Like you had to make a trip to go there. And ultimately, all of those things kind of compounded and the show ended in 2001 where, like we mentioned earlier, it was replaced by The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And that's about it when it comes to Disneyland. One note about this area, obviously, they realized that the cul-de-sac was a problem. So they they did go back when Galaxy's Edge opened and they fixed that issue. So now it does connect to Galaxy's Edge. And you can get from Critter Country to Frontierland that much faster by walking through Galaxy's Edge instead of walking back around through New Orleans Square. And previously, before Bear Country, it was, I don't know the official name of it, but it they were calling it like Indian something. And then it was Native American, it was Native American inspired things. So yes. even that area, you know, we know they would have had to have changed it eventually anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I think it probably goes back to, I don't think that had a lot of draw to get people to go back there either. You know, I just don't think it was interesting. So they probably thought, oh, Country Bears is a huge hit. That's a way to draw people to this kind of back corner, unused section of the park. And again, it just didn't work. I mean, location is everything. So did you already mention it ended in 2001 when Country Bears left? I did. Okay. Just hitting it home. So it's gone. It's no longer there. So let's go back to Magic Kingdom and focus on that story. So next time you are visiting the Country Bears, this should hopefully enhance your overall view if the history hasn't already. I think the history hits at home, but here's the story. So basically, you enter into this rustic cabin, which they call Grizzly Hall. You have to first make your way through the lobby, which is kind of the waiting area when you're waiting to actually enter the theater. There you can see different portraits of the performers, both past and present, along with some of their instruments. And it's basically just setting you up for the fact that you're about to watch a show. I mean, that is the premise of the attraction. There's not a whole lot more that you need to kind of put yourself into. A couple of key things that I like to point out in that room, look for the scratches on the walls because people can barely wait to get in there. But um bump. And I do love all those portraits that you see of the past and present performers. I agree. Those are a nice touch. Once you get in, there are how many different bears, Catherine? There are 18 different performing bears. So we're not going to talk about every single one of them, but some of our favorite characters, both of the bear and the non-bear kind. You have Buff, Max, and Melvin, which are the three stuffed heads on the walls. They kick off the show whenever you come in there. Buff is the leader of the mounted animal heads. He's the bison, and he's voiced by Thurl Ravenscroft which we've talked about him in the past, but most notably he's he was the voice of Tony the Tiger for a long time. Great. Max is the whitetail buck, and Melvin is the bullhead moose. And so they, you know, they're lighthearted, they joke, and they have banter back and forth. And then their closest relationship with the bears is Henry, who is the leader or the MC for the country bears. He wears a gray top hat, 
You're the he's the first bear that you see that starts speaking whenever you get in there. And an interesting thing about him is he is voiced by Pete Renaday, who was the voice of the TTA People Mover from 1994 to 2009. I still hear his voice when I think about the People Mover. Do you? You know, I I don't know if I do. If you played the clip for me, it would probably all come rushing back. But at the moment, it's not coming to me. But I'll take your word for it. It's like the loud, booming voice of like, now entering, you know? Nothing. I got oh nothing. Gosh. I just told you. I you have just nothing. made me do that for nothing. I didn't make you. That was a your, your call. Who are some of your favorites? Some of my favorites. I feel like you have to include the five bear rugs. So it's basically you got Zeke, Zeb, Brother Ted, Fred, and Tennessee. Where they came up with Tennessee, who knows? It doesn't rhyme. But it's funny because all of these five bears have very interesting skills and personalities. And this is where you kind of get to see how Mark took inspiration from people in real life and incorporated them into these bears. So the first one, Zeke, he was kind of like the foxy grandpa. He looks like a grandpa. I've never heard you say the words foxy grandpa before. I took it from Mark's. This is his description. Okay. He's a foxy grandpa, but he's modeled after the comedian Cliff Arquette. I didn't know who this was. If you don't either, look him up right now. Google him. Did you know who it is, Brendan? No. Exactly. Google him and then look up the country bears. They're identical. It's so funny. It's like if you took this man, this comedian, and and decided I'm going to make him a bear, he would be Grandpa Zeke. He would be Zeke. It's amazing. It's just so fun. I mean, Mark was obviously so talented. Um, then you have Zeb. He's the one who plays a fiddle. Fred, he's the big guy. He plays a harmonica. You have Brother Ted, who to me might be one of the most offensive bears in this whole thing because he's playing a washboard and a jug. I mean, come on. Talk about like a hillbilly bear. I'm sorry. Um, it's brother Ted here. And then Tennessee, he's well known for playing kind of a made up instrument called the thang. It's with an A. So you got to say it, the thang. It has one string. And if you ask me, the sketch of Tennessee looks way better than the outcome because in real life, he looks a little homely. But nonetheless, the five of them have their own set together. You've got to talk about liver lips McGrow. You've probably seen him because he's got the big lips. He, they drew inspiration for him from Elvis Presley, which I don't see that at all. No. Maybe in his hair a little bit. Yeah, maybe the hair. I mean, maybe the height. He's Was Elvis tall? I don't know. But maybe he's just, he was the star, maybe. I'm not, the lips. Like the a lip thing, that screams Elvis. Yeah, that's true. Can't have the country bears without our leading ladies. Most notably, probably have Trixie. She wears the blue tutu and the bow on her head, and she sings about how the tears will be the chaser for your wine. And then you have the Sun Bonnet Trio. Their names, which I never knew their names, were Bunny, Bubbles, and Bayula. Is that Beulah? Beulah. 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 
That's a southern name. It's going to be our first daughter's name. Oh, Lord. Come but here, Beulah. <laughs> they sing maybe one of our favorite songs, All the Guys Who Turned Me On, Turned Me Down. And then last but not least, if you do not mention this bear, who are you and what are you doing? Big Al. So this is where we had a little disagreement, or a lot of people probably have a disagreement about this. He is one of the best-known country bears. Obviously, he's the biggest. When you have the opportunity to meet the country bears out and about, he's one that's always out there. So right now, since he's not mingling with his fans, you can see him on top of Grizzly Hall waving to everybody. Um, He plays the guitar. He wears his cowboy hat and a red vest, and he sings Blood on the Saddle, which is a weird song. And so is all the guys who turned me on time turned me down. True that. But, like, is he a murderer? I'm not sure. Anywho, it was assumed by many people that he was made to resemble Albertino, kind of as a tribute. We see this a lot with Imagineers who work on different attractions. They kind of insert themselves into their work. But Mark Davis always denied this. So I think they called him Big Al because he worked on the Country Bears and he was a funny guy. He would make jokes about it like, oh, yeah, I'm the, you know, 200 pound singing canary. But I don't necessarily know if there is a correlation. I don't know if the name Big Al came before or after Albertino's association is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. I think they have to be connected. Even so? if it was subconsciously, they have to be. It might be true. It is a good way to remember, though, that he worked on the attraction. Just think of Big Al. There you go. So again, you know, it's interesting. Just when you go and watch it, or if you were to watch it on YouTube, just look at each of these individual bears. You know, some of them have like crazy teeth. That was based off of someone that Mark Davis knew. Of course, he's not going to tell you because he needs dental work. But like they all have their little quirks. And again, even though it's rather offensive if you're from some of these southern states, it is kind of a spoof and it was meant to be comical. So maybe it has its redeeming qualities. Where's Mark Davis from? You know, I don't know. I'm about to look up, see where he grew up. Go on. Well, so let's talk about some of the songs. So some of the most notable songs, and again, we can't list all of them because there are tons of them, but we have All the Guys That Turn Me On, Turn Me Down, Blood on the Saddle, The Ballad of Davy Crockett. Born and raised in California. California. Okay. Um, If You Can't Bite, Don't Growl, My Woman Ain't Pretty. But she doesn't swear none, or but she don't swear none. That one's by Liver Lips, so that's fun. And what else? Tears will be the chaser for your wine. You, uh, you skipped over. Mama, don't whip little Buford. Oh, how did I miss that one? That one's notable. So again, they're all hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's no other way to describe them. A little offensive. Hilarious nonetheless. I don't think offensive is the right word. Okay, what's the right word? Cringy? Yeah, cringy. We'll go with that then. It's just a problem because we actually know people who are like this. 
they may or may not be blood related to me. <laughs> so that's where it hits home. Yeah, I mean, us. I don't think it's offensive. I just think it's it's over I the said top. Offensive lightly. Okay, but alternate versions, and this is where my mind was truly blown because I have no recollection of either of these. They had two alternate versions: Country Bear Christmas Special and Country Bear Vacation. Oh, down. So let's start with the Christmas special. It debuted in the winter of 1984 in Disneyland and Magic Kingdom. And then they brought it over to Tokyo Disneyland in 1988, but changed the name a little bit to the Jingle Bell Jamboree. It ended after 16 years in Disneyland in the year 2000, basically because it closed the spring after. So it never got to have the 2001 winter season. And then they closed it in 2005 in Magic Kingdom, and they never really gave an explanation as to why they stopped it, because it was very popular in Magic Kingdom throughout that time, but they do still have the Jingle Bell Jamboree still operating in Tokyo during the winter season. Now, I don't know if this is a crazy question, but which language do they sing in in Tokyo? So the dialogue is in Japanese, but then... Most of, if not all of the songs are in English. Interesting. Which is true for a lot of attractions as well. That the dialogue will be Japanese, but then the songs will still be sung in English. That's got to be so weird. Well, that's how it is. The story behind the Country Bear Christmas special was the show includes many different traditional Christmas carols, more modern songs, as well as some original Christmas barrels. A play on word of carols. I I caught that. Well, it's easier when you're reading it, because then when I said it out loud, it sounded like barrels, like a barrel of fish. Yeah. Fish. (laughs) (laughs) They're all sung by the bears in their country twang, of course. And the show begins with Melvin, Buff, and Max as they get as they start arguing over who gets to sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Then Henry comes on and starts the show, and we do have a clip from the Country Bear Christmas special that we will play from you now. And now, here's a little gal who's sure to break the ice at any skating party. Our own Trixie. Oh, the lake's all frozen over. Got my skates and I'm ready to go. But I'm waiting for my honey Cause I can't skate if he don't show Sing it, gal But he's in his cave just snoring I hear you in there, baby And don't think I don't I know you do While my broken heart's just freezing Out here in the snow You look cold yeah, real cool. So, of course, that was Trixie, introduced by Henry, and then Max, Buff, and... Melvin. Melvin, providing commentary along the way. I liked that. That was fun. I mean, I would like to see the show if they were still doing it. I wish that they were, because we talk about all the time that we love overlays. And I don't know how intricate it was or how difficult it would be to flip it over, but it does seem like it would be a decently easy one to do. 
And who doesn't love Christmas overlays? So because the Christmas special was a success, they decided to unveil a new alternate show called the Country Bear Vacation Hoedown. In 1986, it opened in Disneyland in Magic Kingdom, and then eventually made its way to Tokyo in 1994. Again, they changed the name for the Tokyo version to the Vacation Jamboree. They really like to stick with that Jamboree, I think, in Tokyo. Well, do you think they know? I mean, I don't know how this would translate, but would they know what a hoedown is? Does Quite like know we what do. A hoedown is? Obvious hoedown, throwdown. Thanks, Miley Cyrus. Oh, okay. And it operated for just a few years, ended in 1992 in Magic Kingdom, and then in 2001 in Disneyland. So Disneyland's version kept it a lot longer. A lot of that was due to this show actually caused a lot of technical difficulties for the Magic Kingdom version because it was older and they had the older animatronics. It couldn't handle a lot of what they were trying to do, whereas the Disneyland version could handle what they were trying to do. But the it was basically just that they were going over the many joys of summer and the great outdoors. The really big difference is that Max, Buff, and Melvin did not open the show like they did for the original version and the Christmas version special. They just kind of started off with the five bear rugs. They're tuning up their instruments, and then Zeke calls out for Rufus to turn on the lights. And then the show begins with the great outdoors, which we also have a clip of for your enjoyment. All right, one, two, three. Going fishing and you're still on the shore. Grab your camping gear and get us right here. Got all kinds of fun in store. It's time for a vacation for some rest and relaxation. Get your cares and join us there to great outdoors. Ain't nothing like the great outdoors to ease your soul. Ain't nothing like the great outdoors to keep you from growing old. If your mind's been hazy and you're feeling lazy and down on all fours. Is that your new ringtone? That made me chuckle. I feel like when we go out to the national parks in a few weeks, we need to play this on repeat. You got to suck up some air in the great outdoors. I did. I mean, I did think like this is a great summer tune. It is. It's good. It's up there for summer fun. So the bears also got dressed and they were in like you know, vacation type stuff, like uh, like Hawaiian shirts and things like that. Straw hats. Straw hats, sunglasses to signal that it's summer. And it's time to vacation. I love that. That one, it needs to come back. I mean. Both of them. I I think this would bring in a lot more attention to the country bears if they brought these things back. I feel like there's just no reason for them to have taken it away. So in the research that I did, it did say that in Disneyland, whenever they did the vacation hoedown, it did the crowds thinned out. Less people would visit for that. But they didn't have as long of a relationship with the normal show as well. So maybe it would have worked longer. It was more so due to the technical difficulties why they took it away from Magic Kingdom. But if you think about it now, now that they did update it in 2012, 
they probably have better animatronics that could keep up with new choreography, new songs, programming, whatever it takes for these bears to get into the zone. I feel like they could handle it. Yeah. So as we're talking about things closing, I did want to mention one last thing about the Disneyland version. Of course, we know that Disney loves to reuse animatronics. The most notable one that I think is amazing is that Big Al is now Oogie Boogie and Haunted Mansion Holiday. What? Yes. No way. Yes. Same stature, I guess. Oh, my. That is incredible, actually. I love that. So at the end with the wheel that you see in place of the hitchhiking ghost scenes. That's Big Al? That's Big Al. Uh, they are known for that. I was actually, that was one of my follow-up questions is what would they have done with all of those bears? Because they had not just one group of bears, but two. That's a lot of bears to reuse. I'm sure they're scattered all throughout Disneyland and all throughout the world, to be honest. Think John Stamos has one? Probably. <laughs> Which one would you want in your house? Big Al. Oh, Lord. It'd all be a little I mean, frightening. Henry, probably. Oh, yeah. Henry's cute. Why is Henry never out meeting with guests? That's my question. Maybe he's just too busy So being the MC. So I do think it, it's a common conversation that happens in Magic Kingdom, especially right now when the Country Bears are out there meeting on top of Grizzly Hall pretty often about who are the ones who are out there. And so we have a little guide where we can walk through and hopefully you can identify them next time you see them. So Big Al, easy to spot. Liver Lips, fairly easy to spot. Think really long. Long lips. Very long lips. <laughs> and then the other two that you would typically see out there are Wendell and Shaker. So one of them is really light colored and then the other one is a darker brown. Which one is which? Well, Wendell, so you know it's Wendell because he has the orthodontics issues where he needs to get his teeth fixed. So Wendell's the lighter, the shorter colored bear with the blue bandana. He has like a big overbite and kind of buck teeth. He's quite frightening to me. And then Shaker is the one with the fun little hat and he has a red bandana. And he's known for shaking his butt. He's known for shaking his butt in his performance. Hence his nickname, Shaker. So I feel like that's typically the four that you see. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't think any of them, any other of the other ones come out. I think it'd be fun to meet with Trixie because I feel like she's well recognizable. But no, you don't get to see any of the girls. Yeah, Wendell's a little much. He is. He I is. was going to say, you're saying he has teeth issues. Shaker's not... I mean, he's not wooing any dentist either. Well, no, I mean, he just has none of these country bears like are, but... Shaker just has one tooth from what I can tell. Mm. I guess he takes care of that one tooth. Exactly. Less to manage. Less to deal with. So let's wrap this up. Just sort of our kind of final thoughts on the country bears. The movie. You actually watched it today. 
I did. I made it part of my research. I felt like I had plenty of time today with it being summer and all. So I pulled on Disney Plus. I watched The Country Bears. It had a few redeeming qualities, others that were not so redeeming. I mean, it does use a lot of the same names for some of the bears. But not the same appearance, right? They do not have the same appearance, um, which is kind of a letdown. They do talk about like Grizzly Hall and, you know, some different little nods like that. I mean, it's kind of what you would expect from like a Disney Channel-esque movie. That's the problem. It wasn't a Disney Channel original. It's not, but it feels like it should. So that's when I watch it, that's kind of the way that I watch it is that this is a Disney Channel original because it's not the best quality. It's very cheesy, but it's cute. I mean, it kind of makes me think of like the Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy, like that version, that type of movie where- No, the Haunted Mansion's better. No, it is not. Have you looked at the cast for the Country Bears movie? Not in depth. Okay, so Barry, which from the very beginning, I'm out on that movie because Barry- doesn't know he's a bear. That's a that's a problem. He's been treated like a human his whole life, Brendan. Well, that's Haley Joel Osment. Okay. Diedrich Bader is Ted, who was on um, the Drew Carey show, and then he's also on that American Housewife show that you like. Oh, okay. That is that, that the show? dad? Ted Betterhead? Yeah. No, he no, he's a he's a bear. He's not No, I meant is he the dad on the housewife show, Brendan? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. I know I watched the movie today. I know who Ted Betterhead is, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Sorry. Christopher Walken is in it. That's the biggest name. But still, every time I watch it, I'm shocked that Christopher Walken is in it. Brad Garrett is in it. Would you like him from that other ABC show? I mean, he's in a lot of things. Single parents, isn't yeah. that what it's called? But he's also in Tangled, among other things. I don't know. They had a good staff, but were quite possibly the worst story of all time. It just kind of missed the mark. It was a cute story. It just wasn't executed super great. I mean, the bears are funny. They are funny. Funny looking. I mean, that too. They're charming. I enjoyed it. You took a nap. Everything worked out. What do you think its rating is on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, it probably has like a 26. 31%. (laughs) But that's not what's important here. Which probably is generous. Oh, an audience score of 33% and then a tomato meter of 31%. Man. So one of our biggest things that we, I always thought is that all these bears were from Tennessee. And probably my biggest reason for thinking that is if you guys remember, they used to have these big hoedowns in the middle of the walkway out in front of Grizzly Hall where they played Rocky Top, which if you're not familiar, it's the song that they play at all of the University of Tennessee football games over and over. And over again. It's kind of their thing. We're not a fan, but others out there are, so 
like my sister, more power to you. But to us, that has always screamed Tennessee. Again, that's just what we grew up with. Particularly like East Tennessee, which where you would where consider you, more hillbillies. That's where you would find the hillbillies. Uh, because that is where the hills and the mountains are, if we're speaking geographically. But we love East Tennessee. So it fits. Big fans of Dollywood. Big fans. Love them all. But a lot of people say, oh, don't be, you know, turned off by them. They're Florida bears. And Florida does have its rural areas, like every other state, I'm sure. But to me, they've never stood out as Florida bears. And again, in our research, nothing ever explicitly said where the bears are from. Except one's named Tennessee. Except for one is named Tennessee. But something that did dawn on me today, which, again, is kind of making me think about it in a different light, is that these are performing bears. They're coming to Grizzly Hall to put on a show. And if they are performers, chances are they're from all over the place. So they could be from Tennessee or Kentucky or Alabama. Like they could be from all over the place and they're just coming to Grizzly Hall to put on this performance. Does the movie ever mention where Grizzly Hall is? Oof. I don't know if they do. I know that Barry uh, ran away in the middle of the night to go to Grizzly Hall, but I don't think a particular state was ever mentioned. But again, they mentioned the Grand Ole Opry. That is in Nashville, Tennessee. So I think that's where we've always thought Tennessee, but it is still up for interpretation. Now I'm picturing that Tennessee, like, didn't even know his name, so they just called him Tennessee because that's where he was from. Oh, give the guy some credit. He could have been named Tennessee. Uh, who's your favorite bear or least favorite bear? My favorite bear. I do like Trixie. I think she's fun. I like her voice. I definitely liked her winter, her Christmas special song. So a few points for me there. My least favorite in looking at some of these pictures. I mean, like we just mentioned Wendell is quite (laughs) frightening. I've never been a fan of Wendell. Um, I don't know. And the and the jug guy. His name. Oh Lord. There were so many of him. Brother Ted. Not a big fan of Brother Ted. Okay. What about you? I like Gomer, who we didn't talk about, but he just plays the piano and he never talks or sings or anything. He just he's there to do a job. He is. And go home. And yeah, I think I have a problem with Wendell as well. <laughs> I I Poor also, Wendell. I also <laughs> seem to have a memory, which I don't know if it's a real memory or a fake memory, but for some reason I feel like at one point I met liver lips and he like put his lips on me and made the kissing noise and something like it makes my skin crawl. So I don't like liver lips either. He's one that you probably wouldn't want to kiss. Yeah. I could see that. But for some reason like I also, I know this is a real memory that one time we ate at Cinderella's Royal Table when I was little and Snow White kissed me on the cheek and I did not like that. So you're not a fan of her either? I think I've moved past it now, but for a long time <laughs> growing up, I had a problem with Snow White. But liver lips, I, just, I feel like I have that memory still. 
But you're a big Elvis fan. So does that help at all or no? Well, that's why I said I really don't think he resembles Elvis. It's the lip thing. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm trying to. He's got a lip thing. I'd also like all of the listeners at home to know that every time Catherine says the lip thing, she pulls the side of her <laughs> lip up across the table for me. Just so I can illustrate it for you. Yeah, I would have no idea what you were talking about if you didn't physically pull your lip up. <laughs> um, so in the last question we kind of wrote for ourselves to answer at the end of this is, has this research and learning more about it changed your opinion on the attraction? So you already gave us our answer before we even jumped into anything. You said yes. I didn't realize how uh, I didn't realize how impactful this was for Mark Davis. I didn't realize how impactful it was for Walt, their relationship together, how much history was behind it, and then how you know big of a impact it made in Magic Kingdom. You know, Magic Kingdom had to be a success, or we never would have gotten all this and country bears played a big role in that so i do think there's parts of it that are cringy you will never see me in a rocky top hoedown but i do appreciate the country bears and their humor and i like that i do like that it's cringy sometimes like blood on the saddle is cringy it's an uncomfortable song (laughs) But that's what makes it so great. And I honestly can't add too much to that, mostly because if I do elaborate too much, I'm bound to cry. Like I said, I've cried multiple times today. But I think it is because it highlighted that relationship that Walt had, not only with Mark, but probably with all of the other you know, people who he worked with for so many years, who he trusted. You know, They thought so highly of Walt. They put everything that they had into these ideas. And, you know, even in that last meeting that they had together, like the country bears is what brought them together, gave them some laughs and, you know, kind of allowed them to have that last goodbye with each other. And I think just that description and that picture of Mark saying, pulling out the drawings and him saying, you know, every time you were pitching something to Walt and he was loving it, like it was like giving a kid Christmas presents. And just having that picture of him unveiling Big Al <laughs> and Tennessee Bear and Wendell and Trixie and Walt just like laughing and, you know, pointing out their features and talking about what their personalities might be like. I think that's enough to to enhance your next time on the Country Bear Jamboree, which is our goal with these episodes. So we will be in Magic Kingdom tomorrow. Are we going to do it? Is this going to be our first stop? Are we going to have to go to Grizzly Hall? Yes. Without a doubt. I'm going to hold you to it. I'll Rope be there. dropping it. I'll be there. Okay. I will say a couple other things to leave you as a, a, as a parting I know this has been a very long episode. We could have broken this into two episodes because there's honestly more that we can talk about with the Country Bears, but we will stop for now. One thing, if you want to know more about that last encounter between Mark Davis and Walt, there is an interview of Alice Davis 
basically retelling it from Mark's perspective of mm -hmm. this last interaction. You can find uh, Yesterworld has a clip of it in their Country Bear Jamboree video, but then there's a longer Country Bear Jamboree documentary that you can find on YouTube. And that's where, that's the source of this interview with Alice. That, don't watch it on your lunch break because people, You might get some funny looks. People are going to think something's wrong. And something might be wrong. You're having an emotional experience. And I think that's very important. And then a lot of you have asked in the past about this Mark Davis book, and we've sent you the link for it. But we are going to put the link to Mark Davis in his own words. The Amazon link to it is in the show notes below if you want to check that out. It's two volumes. It has wonderful, wonderful pictures. It covers all of Mark Davis's animation career and his theme park career. We cannot recommend enough. It's a great coffee table book, but it's also a great resource. I mean, yeah, it's amazing to look at. And obviously, you know, we're fascinated with storytelling. If you're listening to this episode, you probably are too. Disney must be catching on to the fact that more people want to know about these attractions because in July, Disney Plus is going to have its own series about, you know, Imagineering and the stories behind these attractions, which of course we're excited for. So this is really just one more way to get that background and enhance that knowledge, and we've loved them. And these books are written by Pete Doctor and Christopher Merritt. Pete Doctor has directed or written probably most all of your favorite Pixar films. He's at least been involved in them. So he is a masterful storyteller, and that does translate over into literature as well. In Volume 2, there's a great big picture of Big Al on the front. Right on the cover. It was easy to find. They are rather expensive, but I bought them as a surprise to Catherine because I knew she wouldn't approve of them otherwise. Yeah, he played it off as it was a gift, but we both know. But you're glad them. I got them. I'm glad we have them now because I sat on the back porch today and I just read and read and read and read. So, again, if you were looking to come to Disney or Disneyland... Disney World, Universal, anywhere this summer. Reach out to our friend Hannah Little with Creating Magic Vacations. We'll put the link down to her quote link down in the show notes. You can reach her and make sure that you tell her Detour Neverland sent you. She'll set you up, get you those Boo Bash tickets, which go on sale next week to the general public. If you do not have a resort reservation, and she will set you up. So thank you guys so much for listening. Let us know. Tag us in your Instagram stories, whatever it might be. Tell us, is this going to enhance your next time through Country Bear Jamboree? I think for us, the answer is yes. We want to know, is that answer yes for you? So, of course, to leave you, we have to give you one last sound clip. And we hope you have a great weekend. And we will chat with you again on Monday. Well, folks, this concludes our show. So thanks for bearing with us to the bear end and barrel around to see us again. What do you say, Sammy? I say, y'all come back. You hear? We hope that you'll be coming back again. That you'll drop in to see us now and then. We've done our very best to please with just the bare necessities. We hope that you'll be coming back again. Come again. Come again. Anytime. You're welcome.
the man is always out and saying you is fine. We hope that you'll be coming back again. That you rock in and see us now and then. We had such fun we're gonna cry. We just can't bear to say goodbye. We hope that you'll be coming back again. Y'all come back, yeah. Don't forget to gather your belongings. And your husband, too. <laughs> it's been good to have you. So long, folks. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon. <laughs>